Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Uplifting Impact Podcast. I'm Justin Ponder, Chief Information Officer with Uplifting Impact, and I'm excited to be hosting you today as we dive deeper into our journey to make the world more diverse, equitable, and inclusive. Today, I'm very excited to be talking with Gerard Hardin. Gerard, also known as The Belonging Guy, helps organizations unlock the power of belonging to enhance their people's experience create truly inclusive cultures, and elevate the way they approach DEI. Before leading belonging and DEI efforts across tech companies like Google and healthcare and creative industries, he had stints as a caterer, professional dancer, dance studio owner, and marketing professional. He was named one of North America's most influential D&I leaders in 2021 by Hive Learning. Gerard, welcome to our show. Thank you so much for having me. It's so good to be here. So we'd like to start our conversations off with a quick icebreaker. So the one I've got for you is, what is one thing you believe will be fundamentally different about the world 50 years from now? The New York Jets, the New York football Jets will have another Super Bowl, maybe two, and they will not be the laughing stock of the NFL. That's that a pretty brave, <laughs> pretty brave prediction. <laughs> And what makes you think that? Is this pure <laughs> optimism or do you see things on the horizon happening behind the scenes? Yes, I have no no evidence to make me think that that would happen. It's just faith and optimism. <laughs> Fantastic. So faith and optimism of Gerard Hardin. So as a follow-up question, I guess, who is Gerard Hardin? Other than being optimistic rather than being a Jets fan, <laughs> what are some other things that you can tell us specifically about that title? I love that title, The Belonging Guy. Sure. So how did that happen? How did that come about? And how do you go about the day being the belonging guy? Uh, I, I love that question. It's um, it's funny because when I came up with it, I guess it, it was playing around in my head, it was supposed to make it just like less, less formal. It's supposed to be informal, mm-hmm. disarming, approachable about this kind of work. I think I've been in DEI and the DEI space for so long and that sometimes it can be, it can feel like, all right, but like, you know, here's the data points. Here's the like, it's, we're dealing with serious stuff. And absolutely we are. But if you come at the work, with an approachable lens, I think it makes it more welcoming for people. Also, I don't want to forget the joy that's in the work. But I, I will say now that like when I see the belonging guy and, and all of the things, it's my own fault. It feels like, where's your cape? And like, <laughs> <laughs> where's the crown? scepter? <laughs> but yes, yeah, so I've been working um, throughout my career. It's always been about people like I've had, as you've mentioned, several different stops in my career, but it's it's been about people. And once I got formally into this work, doing DEI work, I knew like it just fit right. And so the belonging guy is about an area of the work that's not being fulfilled or that, that I think we're missing out a little bit on. And I know that people talk about belonging, so I don't want to pretend I'm the only person doing this at all, but I've got a point of view, I've got a perspective and the belonging guy is just like, just a guy cares about belonging a lot. <laughs> so what is that perspective and what is that view of belonging? And I guess maybe for some of our listeners out there who might say diversity, equity, inclusion, I know that. I know the DEI, but what about the DEIB? And especially how does the belonging differ from, for example, inclusion? Absolutely. So I actually start with the B. When you talk about belonging, it's one of those things, and I really think it's truly universal. So if we do the DEI, diversity is about the makeup of your people. Like, are there different people here? 
right, from identity backgrounds. The E, the equity, the easiest way to describe that, and I know I'm going fast, so stop me, but it's that looking over the fence, right? A tall person doesn't need a box to stand on. Short person might need two boxes. A person in a wheelchair might need a ramp instead of a box, right? So equity is giving people what they need so that they can essentially see the field. The inclusion piece for me, that's about making sure that people are around and they're there. So like, hey, if I'm having that big meeting, do we have multiple perspectives here? And are we seeking their input, right? Like, are they allowed to contribute? So that's the 22nd DEI for me. The belonging piece is that feeling where you know that you're supposed to be there. And there's a Coke wall. It's um, a research place, a think tank rather, that talks about it being seen, feeling seen, feeling connected, feeling supported, and feeling proud. Those four elements make up belonging. And belonging is interesting because it's the one thing that you talk about with people. And when you say, what is that to you? They often defer to what it feels like to not belong. I think we've all had that experience. Mm -hmm. Like, oh, I don't belong here. But creating spaces where people truly belong, I think, is not what I do instead of DEI. It's my on-ramp to DEI. It's really about all of us. If you are from... If you're a heterosexual white man, a white cis man, you know what it feels like to not belong and, and belonging is important to you as well. So to me, it's just an on-ramp. I know that there are people who don't go that way, but for me, it, it uh, makes the conversation, it's conversation starts an on-ramp. And it becomes also, I think also the, the, the reason why we see the negative KPIs that people and organizations are concerned about productivity loss or turnover or quitting all these things. I think that is often much more tied to belonging than many of the other things. Like I have deep concerns that I'm supposed to be here. It's kind of the feelings of insecurity, the feelings of being a fraud or not wanted and constantly suspected of why is that person here? How does that reflect your experience of, especially when people say, I don't feel belonging as opposed to the kind of belonging that translates to, hey, this is the place where I want to stay. I want to contribute and participate fully. Uh, so I'll give you two sides. So there's absolutely mm -hmm. data that says higher belonging is linked to less turnover risk, higher employee retention, less sick days even. So that's the like the data side of it. The people side is I know for myself, I don't do my best work when I'm checking over my shoulder where I'm worried about, oh, my gosh, is this is, 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 what, is what I'm going to turn in going to get me in trouble or is somebody going to laugh at it? Right. It's those sorts of things where the, the people side of belonging, it's real. And I know oftentimes people say, well, it's a feeling. It's a thing. But I'm like, yeah, it's a feeling. But we can put parameters around it and understand what it looks like. And what would you say some of the best ways to foster a culture of belonging are? What are some of the things that you have found most benefit people and have them feel the sense that I belong? Absolutely. So I think it's about the first piece of it is defining it for your organization. So if you're in an org, don't let what they're saying out there be what belonging is for you. And I think that's one of the mistakes that we even make with DEI. So often when people are hiring for DEI or they've got DEI roles, they don't know what to do. They're just kind of like, it's that soft stuff about black people yeah. or it's yeah. that stuff about women or gays or like, and they just throw it into that, into that bundle. And I think if you define what belonging is here and right. And so again, I use that feeling seen, connected, supported, and proud. And then you can go through those. Like, what does that look like for us? Right. How can I feel seen? How can I feel connected to the organization? I think if you focus in on those, that's a real win. And I've also seen places that have belonging issues that maybe index too much in one or two of the areas and not the others. 
So a lot of the things that you talked about with belonging, sometimes lots of organizations focus on employee resource groups as a way to kind of create incubators for belonging. What do you see the relationship between employee resource groups, ERGs, and a sense of belonging? As soon as you said employee resource groups, I smiled like that. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it's actually how I got into the work. So the first time I went into an employee resource group meeting, it was African-Americans at BD. It was a company I used to work at. And I just looked around the room and they were just all black professionals. I never (laughs) been anything like that. Right. And so it did something for me that day. I think employee resource groups are, when we think about belonging, they are such right fertile ground to create belonging for so many of your employees and not just employees of that identity. Um, I think they're an entryway for education. They're an entryway for connection and networking. And all those things can help build some of the elements of belonging. And what do you think are some of the best ERGs you've been a part of where they've got opportunities to create belonging? What are some of the characteristics of ERGs that are really set up for belonging that do this work well? Yeah. It's not going to sound fun, (laughs) (laughs) but the first thing is structure. And I say it's not going to sound fun because it's like, well, who likes structure? But it's so necessary because what happens is so often people get into resource groups and they think we're going to change the world. We're going to hire like all people from my identity now and we're going to do all these things. And it's just that's not. A, what resource groups can really do, especially if you're not with the hiring managers of the organization. Um, And it can be demoralizing. I I think if you set it up with structures, people understand kind of what is the resource group here to do, right? And set expectations more than anything. There are a ton of things that they can do between events that celebrate like the commemorative month. So if it's Black History Month for a Black employee resource group. It can, they can help welcome people into the company. So it's one thing to attract black talent, say, and I'm using black for just uh, because I talked about the African-Americans at BD. But if it's about, if you get black talent into your company, well, you know what? Give them the option. It's not saying like, here's our black employee resource group. You must join. But just give them the option to speak to some other black employees there who might understand, understand them culturally a little bit more and what their professional experience has been. So that's another way. I think there's ways to let your employee resource group members teach other people at the organization and not just about the experience of what it's like uh, being the identity, but like there are people who are financial whizzes in those groups. There are people who understand management. There are people who can be mentors and things like that. So it's about tapping your people, creating a group for your people where they feel empowered and they feel like they belong. And then you can go and turn them loose on your organization to actually help supercharge so many things. So those are examples of what ERGs can do well. What are some of the common pitfalls that folks should look out to avoid? (laughs) Okay. (laughs) So, and, and I say this with no judgment at all, because like we're all in this trying to like do this work and make a better workplace for all of us. Right. So, but uh, oftentimes, so if you hear yourself reflected in any of what I say, it's okay. Um, (laughs) We're we're all trying, but one of the things that I've seen in the past is employee resource groups, no charter. Right. And so they kind of just don't know what they want to do. So essentially you've got a whole lot of members who raise their hand and say, yes, I want to be a part of this. And they've done things from, like, okay, it's a party every Friday. And it's like, well, that's great. But are you really, are you teaching your organization anything? Are you being a value for the organization, right? Like, are you doing any any kind of outreach? Or So having no charter is one of the things. I think you can demoralize people too when you say like, hey, we're going to change everything and we want to see the data and we want to, and 
I understand the want and the desire, but without any kind of clear game plan of what to do with the data, right? Or without any kind of strategy about what the, the group is doing, I think it sets people up with the wrong expectation. And so you often feel demoralized and you're like, mm, there's waning interest. And if you don't treat it like, I think a lot of people get caught up when like they need budgets and I'm all for giving employee resource groups budgets. Like, please hear that. <laughs> and also if you don't get a budget, there's still a ton of stuff that you can do. And so I think not feeling hamstrung by whether or not your company has supported you with the budget. I think coming up with a clear, here's why we want a budget and here's how this helps our company is a, is, a, is a better way to get one or a better way to attempt to get one. I'm not saying it, I'm not guaranteeing success, but there's so much that you can do to keep members engaged, to keep people coming back that without the structure, without the expectations set, you just, you fall into these categories of like, then you also have other people looking at it and go, oh, well, that's just a fun group. It's, it's right. not serious. It's not business critical. And I, I think they're business critical. And you raise a really valuable point is that the excitement of being among an affinity group, maybe supporting each other um, psychologically and emotionally is very important, but we see it time and again, if that's the fourth session, like four months in, we have one a month and the ERG is yet again doing pizza and let's talk. What it, it's demoralizing for people who are actually very energetic about it at first because it becomes very difficult. It's like, um, should I take time out of my day to go and do this again or just talk to my partner instead? And then we see it time and again. So what are some of the things about the, that you've seen be like kind of in the areas of professional development mm -hmm. and networking that have really kept people around, especially after like that four month bubble of, Wait, I want more than pizza and emotional support. And I mean that as respectfully as possible. Those are very valuable, but we see it like even the most enthusiastic supporters after that fourth meeting. So how do you provide the professional component? Sure. So one of the things that I've done in places where I've been and I've run the employee resource groups program, we set up with, um, there's a couple of categories where your activities need to fall in. So one might be educating the enterprise. Another one might be building community. Another one might be philanthropy. So you get to do some of that, like in the, in the neighborhood stuff. And then what, when you come up with whatever those categories are and they feel right for you, then you can run yourself through the, okay, well, we've done all things that are philanthropic. Like we've given out more money than we can count to the community. Have we really built community internally? Have we gone to the organization and done anything that way? So it gives you an opportunity to see what you've done and, and check yourself. So I've, I've had employee resource groups that they've done everything from toy drives and community drives, school supply drives to they've done information sessions. One of the most impactful ones, I talk about this a lot, two groups came together, our black employee resource group and the one that was a cancer support group. And they did a, a blood, it was about lymphoma and bone marrow donations. Black people who are in the, are looking for donor matches are so less so much less likely to find matches in the registry because it's just not something that black people think of right and so yeah. something like that like doing an information session around that and then signing up actual donors that's actually changing things and that makes people feel good there's peer mentoring that happens so i, I can give you a ton but there's just so much that these groups can do and that brings up a really valuable other question where you're talking about the people. Like I was I'm like, okay, so I'm asking all these questions about these big employee resource groups and that's kind of a structural programmatic thing. But what about for the person who's at a organization that has 50 people? I mean, like, yeah, we don't even have enough people 
employed here altogether for an ERG. That's never happening. What are kind of micro behaviors that individuals can do to create and contribute to this culture of belonging? Uh, so I would say start small. Like, don't think of the like, hey, well, that 100,000 person company's got an ERG and they fly everyone out to wherever to do that, right? Like, is yours, maybe you can't do the, the happy hour or something like that. But can you do a virtual coffee, right? One of my favorite things that's so easy is matching people up. Uh, we've called it like everything from like donut, uh, donut dates to things of that nature where pair people up. 15 minutes, give them five questions they got to get through. 15 minutes out of the day, you meet somebody new, right? And you, and you may find somebody that you have more in common with than you know. And it doesn't have to just be like, hey, if we're like it's people in the black employee resource group. You've got a company of 50 people. Maybe it's not about that. Maybe it's just about a togetherness group or, or something like that, like just about us. And so quite often I'll have conversations with, for example, like individual contributors about what they can do to create belonging. And the number one question I get is the one I will ask you. Uh, what if the person doesn't respond well to my invitations? Like, what if they don't want to be included? What if they want to be by themselves? How do you respond to trying to create this environment of belonging with individuals and they just rebuff it or they seem to reject it? What's your advice there? Move on. (laughs) (laughs) No, no one owes you, right? Like if if Mm -hmm. you're, if you're in the, if you're in a company, right? we've got a level of professional respect that is expected and required, yeah. right? But if you're trying to go above and beyond with a person who's like, you know, I don't want to belong, you can't assault someone with belonging, right? Like, <laughs> <laughs> you must belong. <laughs> <laughs> but but I, my thing would, I would say in truth, I would say find somebody else. Like that's about them, right? Like if they don't, if they don't connect with you for whatever the reason is, right? I wouldn't try to, as long as you're getting the professional respect and, and, and the courtesy of like, hey, we do our job together in that, it's the Pollyanna inside of me wants to be like, we all should be friends. And yes, they should want to hold hands and skip to the like coffee shop with you afterwards. If they don't, they don't. And there will be somebody who, somebody else who will. So that's at the, like the individual level. What are some of the most common setbacks, resistance, uh, kind of pushback you see in response to ERGs in general. So again, jumping back up to the programmatic level, what are some of the most common pieces of pushback you receive in response to ERGs? Yeah, it's always, I I don't mean to sound like a broken record, but it's always when expectations haven't been set. And so then the ERGs are asking like, we want to, we want to see how many people we have interviewed who are people of color or women or like mm. whatever the thing is. Right. And the organization's typically like, come again. Like, like yeah. and just, there, there's a disconnect between like, that's not, that's not what you're here for. I've rarely seen it. Although I know that there are some organizations that are just much more conservative in nature in terms of how they want to proceed that where they might question what is the like the event? I, when I first started in ERGs, we did a video. It was called Black versus African American. And we had six black employees from our employee resource group that we'd started. And uh, we were shot in a video that just was, we asked some questions. And the way that I had to do it was I had to t- I asked for permission. I was like, here's what I'm thinking of doing. And that was wildly like radical for the group at that time. And, and so we're going back a couple of years. We, we weren't talking about things like that then. So I went to the VP of HR and I said, here's the idea. Here's what I want to do. And he's like, okay, let me see it. <laughs> so we shot it and I showed it to him and he saw like it was a thing about building bridges. I think 
again, we're going back some years, but I think if you show your why, right? And if you stay true to your why, you've got a much better shot of getting things approved and getting things through. And when you hear the no's, you can push against the like, well, hey, you've agreed that we're supposed to be doing X, Y, Z. And again, that doesn't guarantee you a yes, but that's why the structure is so important. It also helps you get taken seriously. If you come with this idea, right? If I come to you, Justin, you're like my boss or a senior leader at the organization. I'm like, I got this great idea and it's this or whatever. And I'm spouting at you with passion, but no strategy. You might like want to see me happy and all of that, but your responsibility is to the organization first. Right. So if you, for anybody who's got an idea about like, hey, I want to start an employee resource group. Or I want my employee resource, resource group to do this. Treat it like a business case. Like the same way that any business initiative would happen. Here's the benefits of it. Here's the lift of it, right? Here are the resources that are involved in getting it there. Because then you can have a frank discussion around what's the exposure of the company, right? And, and the why. And it becomes less around, you told my passion project, no, that I said to you like in two minutes that I had <laughs> after the meeting versus you looked at my business case and you thought, what? or what? And then you can say, what can I do to make this more valuable to us? Or what can I, you know what I mean? It just... I think there are pieces of this work that we have to treat less like the fun passion projects, even though they are. Yeah. If, if we treat them with some of the same intention that we would give to intention and attention that we would give to a business initiative, it'll help us be more successful. So that question, and thank you for that answer, is fantastic and really helpful. It focused on kind of how to overcome resistance from decision makers. Mm -hmm. But another difficulty that lots of ERGs face comes from within where it's kind of the entropy and like the yeah. lack of participation for whatever reasons. I mean, lots of times people have a lot of things going on mm -hmm. and while they might be passionate about it or leaders can be passionate about wanting to start this and they can't necessarily find the group being as passionate or pe everyone's very excited for the first seven months, how do you maintain that enthusiasm and bolster participation when everyone has so many things vying for their attention all the time? There's a couple of things. So, and I'm going to hit it from a couple of levels. The employee resource group itself, there are a couple of things that can happen. So I was at a company and what I would say to them, and they were so upset initially, but they understood why one event a month, unless it's your heritage month, you get to do one event a month. Because we were an organization at that point of 13,000 people. So if I had all six groups trying to do four events a month, one, when is the work getting done? And I think part of the responsibility is, and this is why all of our employee resource group leaders would meet once a month as well. So that we operated as a team. We're supposed to model allyship for the organization as well. So if I'm only doing black events and I only care about black events and the women's ERG is doing a thing and the pride ERG is doing a thing and I'm sorry, I'm focused on my black stuff. That's not we're asking the organization for different treatment than we're giving to our our sibling ERGs. And so so working in harmony and maybe cutting back on events is one of the, one of the ways. Another thing is if you're not hitting the right notes for your people, right? And touching base with them and figuring out like, what is it that they're looking for from the ERG, right? So if it's just, if ideas are just coming from one person who's at the top of the, of the ERG, maybe that's not exactly what your people need. So it's about talking to your people, having conversations with, you know, why? Because it could be everything from time of day, right? If you're mm -hmm. constantly doing things over after 6 p.m., like I see this for parents, yeah. right? If 
I'm not a parent. I'm like, I can do happy hour every day. But <laughs> parents are like, you know, and I've got to go do homework, you know, with right. kids and, and those sorts of things. So it's about understanding your people. Those are some of the ways that like when waning interest happens. Another thing is if you make it too nebulous, like I've, I've often seen this where it's like, all right, we're going to do, and I, I keep going using the, the black ERG, black history month. We need help. Okay. So you get people to raise their hands and then you get them on the call and you're like, all right, so, and then you have like maybe one or two things to do. 16 people on the call, 14 people then feel like, well, uh, I guess there's nothing for me to do here. Right. So being clear and, and it's so I go back to structure uh, again, being so clear, like, hey, it's Black History Month. We'll need three people to do X. And and maybe the first call is about just getting to know each other. Like I, I frequently do this where it's the bring people together. Right. So if you're of this identity and you want to help contribute, here's the thing. Right. And so part of it is just a little bit of getting to know you and that whole thing. After that first call, you get one. You get one nebulous, we don't know what we're about call, like let's just meet each other. But after that, then you come away with like, all right, we talked about this. I'd like four people for this committee and I'd like two people to do this thing. And I, we need somebody on this. If you give them clear expectations of like, here's what I need and here clear roles, then people are always like, oh, I'll, I love writing. I'll do that. Oh, I love, I can, I can take names at the door or whatever that is. I can do the survey afterwards and that. So like creating an opportunity where their skill set can belong, where it's yeah. maximized and used. And you mentioned really valuably this scenario in which we have to work to make sure the ERGs aren't competing against each other and kind of taking away from each other. How do you respond? Because quite often when we work with people who are starting up ERGs, the major concern that they face is that these ERGs create division. There's very much the sense that the only way we can have unity is through uniformity, right? So if ERGs are emphasizing particularly, or emphasizing identity and emphasizing difference, it becomes hard for people to not, some people to see that as, well, you're talking about difference. Is this not divisive? <laughs> How do you show, hey, these groups that are very specific on maybe particular identities, experiences, perspectives, that they actually foster belonging how do you thread that needle okay so earlier we talked and you asked me about like the company that only had 50 people and i was like well maybe you make a one togetherness erg right and i said that based only on the number of people at that company right so if you're trying to get four people in a room like that you know what i mean like you don't want to have like that's about numbers I absolutely see the value in having separate distinct groups around identity because there are cultural touchstones that are important to people like identity markers that I bring with me that I know when I step into a room, somebody else can understand. One of the things that I've seen, and I actually, I had a conversation with the group about it is when they don't allow, when these groups don't allow other people to come in. And I think there are spaces when it's just for people of the identity marker. Right. Like if we're having a, a conversation or if there's only X amount of slots for this type of program. Right. Then it's geared If it's in that ERG, it's geared toward people of that identity. But I think if you I invite people in and, and make it known like, hey, this is about all of us and truly in your planning, do the work of making it about all of us. And that's not me saying like kowtow to other people of other identity groups, or whatever. But it's about if you get your people in the space, if I'm with only black people, we can talk about black things all day long. But if we want to do things at the org and like, it'll take partnership, it'll take collaboration. And so inviting people in, I think that piece of it being focused on not just the identity group, 
Certainly the programming is focused and it's about building community for them, but not isolating them from the group, about energizing them to then go out and be a, a greater part of the org. Well, I'm sure you've energized quite a few of our listeners out there, and I'm sure they're looking for more. So, Gerard, how can they reach out? How can they stay connected? And how can they continue to learn with The Belonging Guy? All right. So, thebelongingguy.com. Every word spilled out. Uh, you can get me there. You can see me there. It's a contact form there. But happy like to connect on LinkedIn. So, Gerard Harden, Jar and Arad, J-A-R-R-O-D, Harden, on LinkedIn. Really happy to connect. Thank you very much, Rod. And we're glad and thankful to all of you out there for tuning into this week's episode of the Uplifting Impact podcast. We need more people to help uplift the impact. In order to do so, please be sure to share this episode and comment on it by going to our website at upliftingimpact.com or provide your thoughts directly to us through LinkedIn at Uplifting Impact, Justin Ponder and Deanna Singh. Until next week, keep uplifting the impact. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.